Hello, and you're very welcome to our Kaleido Feature podcast. My name is Leoba Petrie. And I'm Anna Gallagher. This month, our featured artist is the wonderful mezzo-soprano Sharon Carty. So our featured artist for this month is mezzo-soprano Sharon Carty. Sharon, you're very welcome to Kaleidoscope Night and we are so thrilled to have a singer like yourself come and curate a very beautiful programme. Oh, thanks Leo, but likewise, um, I'm really thrilled to be doing a Kaleidoscope Night as well. I remember when you first approached me and <laughs> I have to say that I balked a little bit because the idea of you know, singing in a more relaxed, kind of intimate setting was absolutely terrifying. You know, when you're used to being on stage and having a certain amount of distance, I guess, between yourself and an audience, then uh, the, the the normal format for Kaleidoscope was seemed very intimidating. But um, sure, that's gone, all gone out the window with COVID-19. kind of programming I know when we started talking about it I, I think I had recently finished a run of Orfeo Idiotodice with Irish National Opera and that I've been doing a huge amount of reading about that story and that character and kind of seeing how that legend it's become a a really useful metaphor I think for kind of stages of grief you know kind of like denial and you know bargaining to get someone back and you know going to the ends of the earth to you know to ha- to, to, to get someone back who's maybe passed away and then acceptance and you know all, all of those stages so that was the starting point but then in kind of looking for a repertoire that was related to his journey just all this other gorgeous stuff started popping up and I was like oh it needs to broaden the scope a little bit and then given the year and a half we've all had to hell and back as our title seemed just really appropriate as a really kind of cathartic journey to mark the last year that we've had so that's that's kind of temporarily related to the time that we've had the last while but also it's like a lot of just my absolutely favourite music so it's kind of a bit of both yeah so sharon has titled the evening to hell and back like unbeknownst like did you know or i know how kind of relevant this is now and now we're kind of getting to to like bring it all to fruition kind of hopefully at the kind of end of all of this global pandemic so it's basically a through composed program and then how you've linked one piece to the next and you're you're telling a story it's like kind of like a, an opera almost you know going all the way through which I just I'm thrilled about I, I love that I love that idea and I love that thread through and the story yeah like I hope it, I hope it won't seem too morbid because it deals very um intimately to want to use to, for want of a better word with with you know the concept of life and death and the transition between those two things and considering which side of the the fence to to, to stay on or to to go towards i think probably my favorite representation of you know the personification musically of death is schubert's death in the maiden so that features at the beginning of the program 
song, a very short song, it's just one page long, and it's just a really short interaction between the young woman and death. He's inviting her to go with him, and she tries to get away from him, and he's inviting her to sleep in his embrace. There's no further information given in the song. I mean, we assume that she succumbs to his advances. The musical themes that are expressed in the song then are worked out in much more detail in the, in the string quartet. So we have one movement of the string quartet in the, in the program to partner with that song. It's kind of divided into three sections. I suppose that's important to say as well, that there's a before death and then there's a, a sense of being in hell. And then I think probably the most important or most necessary part, a kind of a a rebirth or resurrection after having gone through this trial of fire to, to come out the other end in some way renewed or changed. For those of you who may not be familiar with, this, with the, the story of Orfeo, the cliff notes is that he celebrates his wedding day to Eurydice and she is stung by a snake and asp and dies and as was tradition I guess in mythological times she was taken away to the underworld and he was so grief stricken that the gods took pity on him and allowed him an opportunity to go into the underworld as a mortal which was not allowed you weren't allowed like you could not as a as a living mortal being cross the river Styx but he goes in, he's allowed to go into the underworld and he subdues the the kind of the spirits and the, the the lost souls down there into letting him cross with his beautiful singing and playing he was a famed uh, musician so that i think that's another reason that the orfeo legend resonates so strongly with musicians because he was like he was the archetypal musician um that was his kind of gift uh, which which allowed him safe passage into the underworld and the the condition was that when he finds her that he wasn't allowed to look at her he had to keep you know keep turned away from her and was not allowed to explain to her what was going on but he just had to get her to accompany him back and of course you know i mean go and have a look at any one of the the several different kind of settings of it but it it doesn't end well but in the Monteverdi one the character of hope accompanies him to the the gates of hell and there's the, the famous line in the third canto of Dante's Inferno which also features in the program which, which is one of three spoken pieces by uh, incredible actor Aaron Monaghan the the famous line abandon all hope ye who enter here we feature that that piece as a kind of the transition between the land of the living and the land of the dead. I think probably one of my favourite pieces in the programme is the piece, Leo, but that you introduced me to, the David Lang Death Speaks number one. You've done a bit more reading, I think, um, on what David Lang, what his kind of inspiration was for those pieces. It's, it's just one song out of a set of five um, yeah, and he Lang studied all of Schubert's leader with particular interest in anything that mentioned death. Um, so, and this is the kind of product of that, like the kind of that. This is what he was inspired to make from that little project. So, really interesting and incredible to perform it. Actually, we also have. Your wonderful composer that you've commissioned, Leoba, has 
um, written a brand new work for the piece and arranged a work for the programme. Yeah. So the Kaleidoscope Commission is um, by the composer Rachel Lavelle. Delighted to pair Rachel and um, Sharon, actually. I am Rachel Lavelle and I was asked by Leoba to write a piece for Sharon Carty. So to begin with, I was asked to write a piece um, within the repertoire that Sharon had had chosen. And the, the title of this was To Hell and Back. So it was about literary or mythological characters um, that had been to hell and back. And the arrangement was for piano and a string quartet and if I wanted other instruments, but I just chose chose them and, and for voice. When Leoba asked me if I would write for Sharon, I was over the moon because I just think she is absolutely incredible. And I went to see her perform maybe two years ago on Valentine's Day. And she was amazing. Um, her voice is uh, unbelievable. So I felt both excited and uh, very nervous. Yeah, I'm a singer myself, so I thought it would be fine. <laughs> I thought it would be really easy, but then it was really hard <laughs> because I had to imagine somebody else singing and then writing for an opera singer as well is different. And thinking about range, because I would usually just write for myself and I just kind of put that, like write anything that I can just sing and not really think about it. So this, I had to be a little bit more measured. Yeah, but I also kind of, I did definitely approach it as if I was singing it in a way. And then sort of, I listened to so much of Sharon Carty on YouTube and stuff that I had kind of downloaded her voice in some ways into my soul. And I had, I kind of was walking around my room pretending that I was Sharon Carty, you know. Um, so I, I hopefully she likes it, I don't know. <laughs> What struck me from the repertoire was that everything was so dramatic and I love, like I want to live in that sort of theatrical, dramatic world and the stories are all so big about Orpheus and Persephone. There's many versions of the story but the kind of general gist I, I got from reading lots about it and different poems and different things was that Persephone was when she was a, a young woman she was out in the garden playing and she saw this beautiful flower and she followed the flower and then she was swallowed by Hades and taken to the underworld and her father is Zeus. Hades of the underworld asks Zeus can he take his daughter and Zeus says yeah, sure, no problem. And then when she was in the underworld, her mother was deeply upset and, and sent a big search for her for her daughter, Persephone. And her mother was, an, was the goddess of fertility and land and kind of nourishment. And she ceased all growth in the land. So there was drought, there was no food. And in order for the earth to come back to life... 
Persephone's mother makes a deal with Hades that Persephone can come back to Earth during the summer, but she has to spend three months of her year in the underworld. So the whole thing is that Persephone sort of causes winter in the Earth. Winter is necessary for growth and for things to prosper and the seasons need to kind of continue and go on. So it's this sort of to hell and back aspect to that where it's a continuous cycle for her. The piece that I wrote is called The Last Days of Summer and then in brackets Demeter. So it's Persephone kind of before she returns to the underworld and she's talking to her mother about this kind of like I'll be back um, but I have to leave. So the piece kind of moves in from darkness into light. And I think, yeah, there's definitely kind of elements of hope within the piece. It's not all doom and gloom. I suppose as a singer, a text is, you know, 99 times out of 100 what the... You know, a, compu- a composer sets a text to music. It doesn't usually work the other way around. I mean, I'm sure it does sometimes, but the usual thing would be that, say, in the case of Schubert, Schober or Leitner or, you know, any of his kind of colleagues and pals, they would have written stuff and sent it to the composer and the composer would have then set the text to fit the meter and rhythm and emotion and sentiment of the song rather than the other way around. So... I guess for singers, it's the starting point. It has it has to be. And then as well, because as a singer, depending on what words and what consonants and what vowels are in any given combination of words in any given range of your voice, you can't sing every note the same way. Like the, the word completely colours the expression vocally of, like they're, they're kind of so, the music and text are so inextricably linked and then also, like, unless you're kind of doing something like a vocalese that has no text, you are, as a singer, always facing an audience and always, like, using words to communicate musically. So if you don't have, um, I suppose, a sense of an arc or a narrative or, like, a clear picture in your head of what it is you're trying to say or communicate, then you lose your, like, it's very difficult to hold an audience's attention. Um, I often feel really jealous of of instrumentalists because of that, that they get to kind of be in their own world a little bit more or kind of just allow an audience to almost voyeuristically observe or and listen to them playing. It's a bit like that kind of uncertainty principle thing about it, that in using a particular word, there can be subtext, obviously, but then you're excluding every other word that you could possibly have used, where if it's you're playing a note, there's millions of interpretations that the listener could attach that to I often find myself a little bit envious of instrumental music that it sometimes is much deeper resonance because you're not like narrowing it down by putting words on it that's the only moan I'd have ever been a singer (laughs) so when you were growing up then when you were learning your classical songs was that something that as you developed maybe more wisdom around emotional intelligence and words did you become closer with the music then that's a really good question like I didn't really focus on singing as like a young person as such like I started when I was 28 but I always loved languages and um 
like I studied English in in university with as as part of a P degree, and played the piano. And I pl- I played fiddle myself like badly, but like I was I was pretty decent at the piano as a teenager, um, and I sang in choirs and stuff. But I was never interested in being a singer for exactly that reason. I always preferred the kind of the much more deep emotional turmoil of not <laughs> of not having to kind of be smiling and you know communicating directly. Um, so it's only it's only been in in like you know kind of my late twenties and kind of thirties uh, that. I see how much of a privilege it is as a singer, the personal development that you get to embark upon, I suppose, in delving into exactly that on you, the 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 kind of the emotional deep dive that you need to go into researching a character or like trying to make sense of what subtext the, the, both the composer and the librettist wanted. What road led you to singing then? Like if you say so you sang in choirs and you're a pianist, what did you... What made you decide, oh, actually, I'll, I'll do the singing thing? <laughs> um, I had an amazing music teacher in secondary school and had the major lucky break that the, the primary school I went to as well. Like we sang every single day. And if I was, if I had my way, every single child in Ireland would have a half an hour of singing in school every day, just regardless of whether you were going to sing in a choir. It's just so good for your physical health, for your mental health, for just everything. So I had the privilege of having gone to primary and secondary school that really valued singing as part of a broad education I was musical as a child that was clear loved the piano was obsessed with Chopin because when I was kind of 12 13 and you're dealing with all those difficult emotions and stuff that it's like beautiful on the surface and then like the middle page was this like mad turmoil and then you kind of you got it out (laughs) and then it went back to the the lovely calm so that that really kind of actually playing Chopin got me through puberty (laughs) really 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 helpfully um, my poor mother used to be like, "Do you not? Can you not play something a bit happier?" <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was terribly cathartic. But when I went to secondary school, then in first year, the music teacher, like I'll never forget it, I was terrified, <laughs> got me to sing "Away in a Manger" in front of the whole school, and like you know, twelve or thirteen years years of age, absolutely terrified. It just goes to show you the value of an amazing teacher. She was an opera singer herself and chose to kind of go down to having family and and a steady job. But I owe her my life, basically, in terms of how things have turned out. And yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. This podcast was produced by me, Oni Gallagher, for Kaleidoscope. It features Leopa Petrie, Sharon Carty and Rachel Lavelle. Tickets for this upcoming concert can be purchased at kaleidoscopenight.ie.